We're going to be talking about a topic that is not easy this morning. I know it. I know it's not an easy topic because I didn't sleep very well last night. And uh, on the back of your bulletin, I have I listed a lot of the scripture references so that if you need to look up things after the fact, you can always do that. I would encourage you to do that. We're going to be looking at one particular story in the Bible. So I thought that it would be best to start with a truth. Or should I say, a sweet tooth, to a degree. I confess that I have a weakness for apple fritters. I don't know if that's a weakness or a strength. This is definitely a weakness. And it might seem a little silly at first. And also, this is a hint, so please, no apple fritters. I actually don't, I don't want any. It does say apple in it, but that does not mean it's part of your balanced allotment of fruits and vegetables. I have learned that. Of course, let me say this. There is nothing inherently wrong with apple fritters or baked goods. Amen. There's nothing inherently wrong. In fact, some of you... That's not your thing. You don't have any problem. You don't struggle with that at all. But when you eat three of them at one time, I know from painful experience, the sweetness up front isn't worth the cost in the end. I know this to be true because if I buy four, or when I have bought, 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 bought four, and I eat one in the car, and I bring three home, and I eat one, and I have one for my lovely spouse, and then I have a fourth one, and that's for later, it's not a good thing. Something that is potentially neutral or could even be a thing or a source of joy can also become a problem. What I am pretty sure of is that you each of us have an area or areas of weakness in our own life. Areas that if we leave them unchecked can actually spiral out of control. See, this really has nothing to do with apple fritters. Sometimes it's the, what's the thing behind the thing? And whatever the, that area is or areas are for you, those can be relatively simple, even benign things at first, or they can be serious and potentially dangerous. Whatever it is for you, it's probably something that you have found in your life really difficult to resist. I've always had a love-hate relationship with food, and regardless of what I've thought about food, it is not my food. It might be enjoyable, but it is not my it goes deeper than simply eating one too many fritters. For you, you know that your area is a problem when even when you don't want to, you end up doing it. Or you buy it, or you click on it, or you eat it, or drink it, or smoke it, or say it, or bet on it, or whisper all about it. Simply because you had to. You just couldn't resist 
which is why today is all about our struggle with temptation. Mm -hmm. The title that I gave is When the Urge is Strong, or we could say when the urge is way too strong. And if you're nervous or uncomfortable right now, that's okay. But hear this, the good news in this is that hope is here. And there is hope. Because there is one who is stronger and will give you a way out. And even if you don't take it, all hope is still not lost. Because the one in this world who is strongest and has overcome the world is ready to receive you back and change the very desires of your heart, even if it takes a hundred times. We're in this series called Ben There, looking at Jesus' life, different stories, different things he experienced and went, went through. And when we look at what Jesus experienced in this world, we come to understand that he knows what we face. Temptation is something he very clearly faced. So if you've ever been tempted to say it or look at it or touch it or eat it or whatever it is, Jesus understands and is ready to help. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter 4 in the New Testament, the very first book of the New Testament. And Matthew chapter 4, what's going on in this section is Jesus has just been publicly baptized, and when he was baptized, it said the Spirit descended upon him as as if a dove. And that was sort of the inauguration of the beginning of his public ministry. But one more thing had to happen first. He had to have a showdown with the devil. Matthew 4, let me read the first three verses for us. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's probably the most duh verse in the Bible. If you've ever fasted, you know, even after about two days, or maybe even three days, yeah, you're already hungry. 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And it says the tempter, that is Satan, came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Could he have done that? Of course Jesus could. He had all power given to him. Even Jesus, the son of God, was tempted by the evil one. So what does that even mean for a person of faith or someone who is searching for the way? mean in this day. There's a Christian author named Tim Challies, and he has a pretty good definition. I put, I put his name on the back of your bulletin. And his definition of temptation is this. Anything promising satisfaction at the cost of obedience. And from the Christian perspective, we might even add obedience to God. Anything promising satisfaction at the cost of obedience. 
And when you start to read the Bible, you actually discover that this is what God's people, let alone most everyone, struggled with all the time. Especially how God's people were always tempted to want to go it alone. To do it their way. To think that they knew better than their good, good father. Who was all God was trying to do was to lead them and guide them and shape them into the people he knew they could be. When the going got rough, they often would do things like turn to other gods. They were obviously tempted all the time. They would turn to rituals that promised what they wanted at an offer that was too good to be true. If there was an as-seen-on-TV TV station back then, you better believe that God's people would be buying all the stuff on there. <laughs> stuff that seems like you just can't live without it, but when you get it, you're like, this is a piece of junk. Why did I need the Applebee's blooming onion peeler thing? I don't know. It just looked good at the time. Temptation promises satisfaction or fulfillment and falsely wants you to believe that it's okay to make it happen by any means necessary. If you have worshipped here at Edgewater for any number of years, you've heard me say something like this before. Jesus is not only concerned with what we do or what we know, but how we do it. Sometimes I've used the phrase that I've stolen from another pastor, right plus rude equals wrong. You can be as right as rain, but if you go about it in the wrong way, that makes you wrong. We know far too well that temptation takes many forms. Some of you may know this more than others. Maybe you're hurting and that drink or pill promises to dull the pain but leaves you isolated and hurting even more than you were before. Or you're scrolling along and you're looking at all the happy people, living it up, and you grow more unsatisfied with your life. So you start to check out someone else and that daydream promising a thrill and respite from reality, but you end up emptier than before. Or you simply feel bad about yourself you struggle with self-confidence or you end up bullying or bringing others down because it makes you feel good for a moment until it wears off and you actually feel worse than you did before. Temptation is that drug that keeps demanding more of you. It promises a high, but at the escalating cost of your obedience to God. So let's take a look at God's Word so we can understand a few truths and hopefully address temptation from Jesus Christ's perspective. There is a lot of misinformation, especially online or even on TV, Christian perspectives that I think are not correct. So we do need to be wise about what we read and watch and think. If you're ever in doubt, start with the Word of God. Here's the first thing. It's not a sin to be tempted.
There are some sources out there that will say it is, but it is not. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest, that is Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. Jesus himself was tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. When you decide to follow Jesus, guess what? The devil doesn't like it. Anyone know that to be true? And in fact, because the devil doesn't like it, you actually might encounter more temptation, more oppression, more things that come want to come against you because the devil doesn't like it when we are trying to do God's will. The reality is you will be tempted. That's not the sinful part. I've even heard people say, God must be tempting me. I'm just not strong enough to resist. And we say those things as a way actually to justify our actions or deflect responsibility. Here's a reality check. No, God is not tempting you. He may test you, but he'll never tempt you. There's a difference. The Bible actually tells us this in the book of James at the very end of the New Testament. James 1 says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to what? Sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to what? Death. You see, the Lord will test you at times because he wants to build you up. The devil does the opposite. He will tempt you because he wants to break you down. He wants you to fall and fail. The Lord does not want you to fall and fail. So it's not a sin to be tempted. It only becomes so when we act in ways which move us away from the purposes of God. Number two. We are most vulnerable to temptation when we are weak and when we think we are strong. I think the weak part, we we understand that to some degree. In Matthew 4, when does Satan tempt Jesus? When he's hungry. When he's weak. Ever have to make a big decision when on an empty stomach? Don't go grocery shopping. We've we've learned that tactic. Otherwise, you're going to always get that pizza that's right at Winco or wherever. The devil knew the human needs Jesus had at that moment. He was oh so hungry 40 days and 40 nights. So he said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Guess what? This is a strategy that works more often than not. It works actually in warfare where one of the tenets is to exploit your enemy's weaknesses. It's used to slay dragons 
How do you take down a dragon? You aim for the one scale that's missing. Lord of the Rings taught us that. You aim for that weak spot in the armor and you can take down your enemies or slay dragons. Jesus' hunger made him more vulnerable to choosing an easier path. We're also equally vulnerable when we think we are strong. When we say things like, I can handle this on my own, in my own way, no problem. I just have faith. I am strong enough to fight through the pain, the hurt. My willpower is strong. I don't need help. You might hear yourself in some of those words because we, most people have said variations of that at some point. What does the Bible say though? 1 Corinthians 10, it offers this warning. If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. A teacher of mine used to make this point it was a class on called pastoral care. And he made the point that we're in danger of making mistakes and missteps, especially when we're not aware of how we are feeling. And he told some personal stories from early on in his life and some choice come to Jesus moments that his wife had to say to him. And so he shared the acronym with us, HALT. I've said this before to a few of you, HALT. And he used four words, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Because those were four uh, representative states that were dangerous moments of vulnerability. Moments when we would be tempted to make mistakes or lash out and say hurtful things, or seek distraction to numb the pain, or we are simply inattentive to what's going on. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Maybe you resonate with one of those four. Maybe that's tied into the particular areas of weakness that you know you have. Quick question. What would be some other words or other states that you would want to add to this list? Times where we are prone to be more vulnerable. Bored. Boredom. Bored. Yeah. Worried. Worried. Shame. Shame. Angry. Angry. You could be writing these down. You could come up with your own cooler act in just a moment here. Sad. Sad. Frustrated. Wow, these are all good. They, they all sound very human. <laughs> Amazing, yeah. Any, anything else? Any other ideas? Stressed. Good one. Maybe we should add an S to the front. Thou shalt. Or something like that. What was the other one? Depressed? Depressed, yes. Anything else? That's a, that's a pretty overarching list that we, we've come up with in just a couple of minutes. I might add the word hurting. Because whenever we're hurting, we are more vulnerable. 
Now, this list is simply a reminder to be aware that whether you are weak or strong in a particular moment, you need to have an awareness of how you are feeling so that you can also understand what's coming at you, but so that you can also learn to move in better directions that God actually can and will show you if you let him. We're most vulnerable when we are weak and when we think we are strong. Grieving. Good. Yeah. It might be a question that's worth thinking, thinking a little bit more on when you go home today. So that was number two. Number three, another truth. The Lord will provide a way out. This is a promise that he makes. It is not the promise that popular culture or even some Christian culture likes to perpetrate. The verse is not God will never give you more than you can handle. That does not exist. It's not even correct because there are lots of people that have way more than they can handle. That verse or what we think of is a verse probably I think was what the devil said he twisted the verse that I'm going to share, which is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Our problem is sometimes we choose not to take the way out. Sometimes we leave the door or window deliberately open. I know I don't like to hear that too. God wants us to walk his way and he will help us if we truly want it. Because sometimes we say we want it, but we don't. Proverbs 4 says it another way. It's a little more direct. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way. I think the Christian author, I remember C.S. Lewis having a quote one time, and he said, when you are, when you know you're on the wrong path, the best thing to do is stop, turn around, and go the opposite direction when you know you're in error. One of the best ways we can learn to resist temptation is by working to eliminate it in our life when it isn't in our power or control to do so. If binging on fritters is not good, stay away from the bakery. It can be deadly. It might smell great, but it could be deadly in the long term. If alcohol is trouble, don't go to the bar to meet up with someone. You're playing with fire. If you can't stop staring at certain people at the gym, then get a fitness app and work out at home or with your friend. If you're online comparing yourself and you end up more miserable than before, then get offline. You don't need that in your life. If you get so angry when you read the news, then delete that app, unsubscribe, or turn it off. You don't need to feed that part of you. 
why I deleted Twitter off my phone almost a year ago. If your friend is enabling poor choices or reinforcing behaviors that don't help you to flourish and grow, then they're not much of a friend in the first place. You may not even need them in your life. If you are lonely, swiping right on Tinder or throwing back another Jack Daniels won't cure the loneliness. It may even tempt you to think or say or do something that you will regret for the rest of your life. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Make no mistake, when you ally yourself to Jesus Christ, you aren't signing up to join a club or play on a playground. The enemy wants to devour you, to tear you to pieces. We have to guard that so carefully. We certainly don't need to give him more food to eat. Instead, we can work to eliminate temptations wherever we can and begin to fill those spaces with what gives you life and brings joy and leads you closer to Christ. What do they say when you dig a hole in the, at the beach? What's eventually going to happen to that hole? It's not going to stay empty forever. It's going to fill up with something. If you move a piece of furniture in your house and there's a nice space, don't worry. It will be filled with something very quickly. If you get rid of something that is causing you trouble in your life, you will work to fill it with something else. So what we can do is work to fill it with the good things of God. The question that I would ask, or maybe you can reflect on, what could you add back that would actually build hope back into your life? If you are working to rid yourself of a few things, what will you add back that will actually build hope and bring life? If you don't, something will fill that hole. I guarantee it. Maybe it's by seeking out people who actually help you to be better. I know there's been times in my life where there are people that, even if I love them, they're not necessarily the best person in my life for that moment. Or maybe we need to develop behaviors and routines that bring you nearer to the Lord. Don't try to do this alone. It always works better with a friend. And perhaps you need to start by reaching out to someone you trust for advice. Or at the very least, you could pray, asking God to point you in a better direction. See, when we ask God for things like that, he will never fail to deliver. So how did Jesus address his temptation? In truth, we already have the greatest way to overcome temptation within our grasp. Because the Word of God can show you the way if you are open to it. This is actually how Jesus responded to the temptation. He didn't try to engage the devil in a debate or try to win him over to his side. He just quoted the Bible and let that be that. The devil said in Matthew 4, 4, 
turn these stones into bread. And what does Jesus answer? It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He was quoting from Deuteronomy 8 when he said that. So the devil tries attempt number one, and Jesus gives him a simple answer. He doesn't engage in a long debate or anything like that. So what does the devil do? He tries again because the devil does that. He will keep coming at you. He'll try different tactics. Tactic number two, he has Jesus stand on the highest point of the temple. Verse six, the devil says, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. See, the devil tries to take Jesus' own tactic and use it against him. But what he fails to do is use it properly. See, he leaves out the verses that come before it, which basically say, if you put your trust in the Lord, then this might actually happen. He misquotes and he twists the psalm. Not really quoting He's twisting scripture, yes. He twists the promise of this psalm into an act that would cause Jesus to lack trust in his Father. Again, how does Jesus respond? He responds by using scripture correctly. This is why it's so important to read the Bible and to learn it and to know it more so that you are prepared for when you actually need to use it. See, we're called to use the Word of God, but we don't want to wield it like a weapon. We don't want to wield this like we're hitting somebody over the head with it. Jesus doesn't do that. We shouldn't either. Jesus answered him in verse 7. It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Only God is allowed to test. I'm sure this frustrated the devil. So what happens? He changes tactics again. And the third time he takes Jesus to the high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And this is what he says. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. How do you think Jesus responds? The same way he's been responding all the time. He said to him, away from me, Satan. That might be something that you need to say in your life. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. When you resist temptations offered by the evil one, and instead respond by offering the word of God in faith, guess what? It is he who will flee from you. You will frustrate the designs of the devil. Sisters and brothers, be alert. Be aware. Know that temptation will come. There's nothing you can do about that. It promises satisfaction at the cost of obedience to God. Yet I urge you, don't fall for the false promises. They do not deliver. They may taste sweet, but they're going to leave you bloated for sure. Thankfully, temptation doesn't have to be the last word. Instead, remember the good news that we began with. All hope is not lost. When the urge is strong, there is one who is stronger 
Jesus. First John 1 John 1.9, and this is the verse I'm going to close with, says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and what? He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All that means is God will forgive you and you'll be good with him again. You'll be in right standing with him. Now all of the other collateral damage in your life, that may still remain. And you may have to work hard to fix that. But with God's help, there is still hope. The one who paid the price for you will provide a way out. And even if you don't take it then, hope still remains, as I said at the very beginning. For Christ has already overcome sin, death, and the devil, and because of his great love for you, he is ready to restore you quicker than you can take a breath, quicker than your heart will beat. And at that moment, guess what? It actually begins to change the desires of your heart. My friends, this is even better news than we could have hoped for or imagined. The idea that God's grace is more than enough for you and you and you and you and me and all of us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, in the stillness of this moment, we are aware that only you know our heart. The person next to us might know us pretty well, but only you know every depth within our heart. So we ask you to continue doing your work within us. Continue doing your work within our church, our families, our workplaces, our communities, indeed all throughout your world, O Lord. Do your work. May your peace reign. God, I pray this morning that you would turn our hearts away from the darkness and sinfulness that infects this world. Turn our eyes to you. Bind our hearts to yours and let the strength of that connection flow out into the world. To the people that you call us to love and the circumstances that we encounter every day. Father, I pray now for anyone in this room who is stuck. Stuck in darkness, stuck in a painful or sinful cycle that seems unending, will you extend your hand of mercy and open their eyes so they may look upon you and reach out and take your hand, O Jesus. God, we indeed thank you that when temptation comes our way, by your grace and your goodness and your power, you'll always give us a way out. Even if we don't know what it is. So we pray today, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil and right into the center of your will. Break our bonds and set us free. Thank you, O Lord, for your amazing and unending grace. We offer this prayer and all of our worship in the name above every name, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
I want to close with one verse. This is the verse after the verse in Hebrews from earlier. Verse 16. This is because Jesus empathizes with our weaknesses. This is what we were able to do. It says that let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That is my hope and my prayer for you today, that you would find grace and mercy in your time of need. Go with God's blessing to love and serve him and one another. Have a wonderful week. I'll see you here again.